All right. Well, thank you for letting me be here tonight. Whoever's iPad this is, I'm just going to move it so I don't drop it. Perfect. All right. So thank you, Caroline, for that introduction. Thanks for letting me be here. Um, I love FCA. I love what you guys do here. And uh, it's a privilege to come share a little bit uh, tonight with you. So over fall break, you all were doing fun things, I'm sure. I was too, but in a little different way. I was at Carolina Point, which is a uh, young life camp, border of North and South Carolina. But I, and I was there with my church, and our high school youth group was on a, a fall retreat. And, so, and I lead a junior guys small group, and so I got very little sleep Friday night and Saturday night of fall break because we were having fun. And the speakers who were there um, had a lot of good things to say, and I've been really thinking a lot about what they had to say. So they were gearing it toward 11th and 12th graders, but I'm a little older than that, and it was still very applicable to me. So as I've been thinking about this over the last couple of weeks, um, I just want to share some of the things that I learned and some of the things uh, that the Lord is teaching me uh, through that uh, event. Uh, the topic was false gospels. And the idea was that there are all sorts of false gospels that our culture teaches, that sometimes churches teach, and they are things that are very seductive. They are things that we want to believe sometimes. They're things that are easy to believe. And in each of these false gospels, there's, there's a half-truth. Like, there's something true in it, but there's also things that make it false. So there's a lie in it, we could say, as well. And so the whole weekend, they were kind of talking about these false gospels and then talking about truth. And so I'm not going to share all of them with you. I'm going to share two of them with you that, uh, that really made me think. And so if you like outlines, I've got like a point one. Then I've got a point two with a bunch of subpoints underneath it. Okay, so if you like outlines, uh, that's where we're going. So one of the gospels, false gospels they talked about, uh, was this, that um, if I am good at the right things, then God will bless my life. Right? If I do the right things, then God will bless my life. And the subtext of that is, where do we find our identity? Like, where do we find our identity? Where do we find who we are? And is that in our behavior? Is that in the good things that we do, trying to outweigh the bad things that we do? Um, here's the, here's the half-truth in that idea that if you do the right things, God will bless you. Should you do the right things? Yes, you should. Does God sometimes bless us? Yes, he does. But if you make that an if-then, if I do the right things, then God will bless me, that's the false part of it. That's the lie, right? Because God never promises that to us, right? So, so this one hit home to me. Uh, partly because the way I'm bent, but just my, my natural inclination is I am, well, in most situations, I'm a rule follower. And the way I grew up, like I was sometimes, I was called by a parent. So I played, in, I played in the soccer team in high school. And one of my co-players, my teammates, that's a better word, teammate, <laughs> co-players. Um, one of my teammates was not making very good choices. Um, he was actually probably the most talented guy on our team. Um, but he, he could have been a lot better than he was. And at the end of the year at the awards banquet, his mom came up to me and said that she called me a straight arrow, which I thought was a really weird thing. But what she meant by that is that I had made better choices than her son, that I was just, I was a straight arrow. 
And that did describe me, right? I, I did usually make the right choices. I was a pastor's son. I knew it was expected of me. I liked what my dad did. So like, it was fine to do the right things. But I think embedded in that somehow, I also thought that I needed to do the right things in order for God to like me or in order for God to accept me, right? And so, yes, I should do the right things, but not in order to be accepted by God and in or not in order to get God to love me, but because he already does, right? So I do the right things because God has already accepted me, right? So this is one of these false gospels. And one of the important things I think is that when we make this an if-then, when we say, if I do the right things, then God will bless me, we make ourselves out to be more important than God because we say, my actions dictate what God does, right? And so if I do the right things, then God has to act, which means that I think I'm pretty important, right? Because everything hinges on what I do. It's a lot of weight to put on a person, um, but it's, there's also like a, there's a lie to it, right? Because God doesn't have to bless us. Because we can get this, we can have this sense that if I make the right choices, then at some point in the future, I'll find that person, and we'll fall in love, and we'll get married, and then we'll have 2.5 kids, and we'll have a nice house somewhere, right? I can think that all that is owed to me, or I deserve all of that, right? Because I did the right things, because I made the right choices. That's not what Christianity offers. Christianity kind of flips it a little bit and says, you make the right choices, not in order to get God's favor, but because you have God's favor, right? Because God has already accepted you. Why would you not make the right choices? Why would you not do the things that expect, that's expected of you? Because you do them because you want to serve God and love God, right? Okay, so that was one. And that was my first point. The next one's going to have subpoints. Uh, the second one is this. That if you just focus on yourself, you'll be happy. Um, I think this is subtle in that there are important ways in which we do need to take care of ourselves. We do need to focus on ourselves. We do need to um, make sure that we're taking care of ourselves, for sure. But our world's self-centeredness runs really deep, really deep. We're born with it, right? We're born thinking that we are the most important person. We are born thinking that the world revolves around us. And when we kind of get captivated by this and we think that we are the most important person and that my happiness is dependent upon me being happy, like me being happy means that I, my needs need to be served. When that starts to become controlling or that becomes um, all-encompassing, I think that instead of actually bringing freedom, it brings slavery to us. And that <coughs> we weren't made for the intense spotlight to be focused on us all the time. We weren't made for that. I think if when the, when the spotlight is on you all the time, and even if you just feel like it is, even if it's not, you tend to start pretending. You tend to start feeling like you have to always put on a show because other people are looking at you. And that leads to things like anxiety and fear and nervousness, right? Because there's too much pressure that you're putting on yourself. In the Gospels, uh, when Jesus is about to, well, he's, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's just starting out, and he says for the first time in the Gospels, 
that he's going to go to Jerusalem, he's going to die. He's going to suffer and die. And his disciples say, no, 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 that's not going to happen to you. And Jesus says, no, no, it is. So they have this really fun moment where they're disagreeing with each other. And then Jesus turns to them and says, not only am I going to suffer and die, but you are too. And in that moment, he says this. this is, I'm, I'm reading from Luke 9, verses 23 and 24. It says, if anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it, or will find it, you could say. Right? If you're trying to hang on to your life, if you're making yourself the most important part of the story, you're going to lose that life, or you will, right? Whether it's tomorrow or the next day or at the end of your life when you die, you're going to lose your life. But if you give up your life for Christ's sake, you're going to find your life in really important ways, right? That's, there's a reversal going on, right? So it's taking the, the, the attention off of yourself, putting it more on Jesus, right? If you, if you want to... Uh, you want to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. If, you want to, if you'll give up your life for Christ's sake, you'll find it. Um, I went to a place called Wheaton College. Caroline mentioned it, right? And there were some, I mean, every college has famous alumni, right? Uh, so t there were three, um, well, I should say, there were a group of five guys who became missionaries in Ecuador. And there have books been written about these guys. They decided they wanted to move there. They learned the language. They ended up all getting killed by this tribe that they were going to minister to. So Jim Elliott is the guy's name who is the, the leader of the group. And he has this very interesting line um, that he's, he's known for a lot of things that he said, but here's one of them. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Right? He is no fool to give what he cannot keep. That's our lives, right? To gain what he cannot lose to gain what you cannot lose, right? There's something about losing your life for Jesus. Losing your life um, because you're not that important, right? You're giving up your, your ideas, your dreams, and all this because you want to promote Jesus instead, right? And so you're going you're gonna to gain life from that. Okay, so here, if you like subpoints, here's, here's the first one. Um, these are underneath this idea that uh, if you fo just focus on yourself and you'll be happy, everything will be good. Okay, that's the, that's the false gospel. And here's some subheadings. Here's the first one. First lie I think we sometimes believe is that you or we are the main character of our story. Right? That, I mean, anytime you read a book, Harry Potter, others, right? <laughs> who, who do you identify with? What character do you identify with? I think we often identify with the main character in the story, right? Because they're the one that the spotlight's on them. They're doing cool things. It's amazing. Like you wish you could be them, right? And I think we often do think that we are the main characters in our story. But what happens <laughs> is that we always have to be working for everyone else's approval if we're the main character in the story, right? Everyone's looking to us. Everyone wants something from us. It gets very tiring, very tiring. It is not healthy, I think, to be the main character in our story. Uh, in fact, we were not built that way. We're not built to be the main character. Um, because we end up having to perform. We end up having to prove ourselves over and over again. It's exhausting. I've done this. It is exhausting. I'm sure that some of you have too. Because we can pretend that everything depends on us. 
All right, Ashley. Can you play? I have a little clip that I want to see if Ashley can play. It's from the movie Encanto. A minute or so of a song. Yeah, okay. I'll let you play it. That's good, Ashley. All right, perfect. So why did I show you that clip? If it was in a classroom, I'd make you answer. I will not make you answer, okay? But she is the main character in this clip, right? Not in the main story, right, but in the clip, right? And she feels like everything depends on her. Everything depends on what she's doing. And that pressure is getting to her. She's starting to crack, right? The, the, the clue is that her eye is like, Whatever the word is, right? Sorry. Twitching, twitching thank you. <laughs> uh, her eyes twitching, right? But in that thing, she's saying, all the pressure's on me. I feel like I have to do this. Everyone's watching me, right? And she's starting to crack, starting to break. She's not built for that pressure, even though she's the strongest person around, right? So I don't think we're made, we're not built to be the main characters in our stories. I think that's actually a great example, that song. Um, also in the Gospels, there's a guy named John the Baptist. And he, in his lifetime, was probably more popular than Jesus. More people knew who he was. More people were interested in what John the Baptist was doing, at least at the beginning. And Jesus comes to John the Baptist and gets baptized by John. And as Jesus is leaving, John says, you see that guy over there? He's like, he's, he's like the bridegroom, and I'm the friend. He's the center of the show now. I'm not the center of the show. If people go follow him, it's better. Like, it's fine if people come to see me. They should really go be talking to him. That's who they should be talking to. And he says, I receive joy when people go and follow Jesus and don't follow me. That's impressive, right? And then the last line, this is in John chapter 3. He says, he, Jesus, must become greater. I, John, must become less. That is a great mantra for your life, right? To say over and over in certain situations, Jesus must become greater. I must become less. And it's not just good wisdom. It's like it's how we're built, right? It's how we're built. We did not create ourselves. God created us. We are not built to be creators. We're built to be dependent, right? In this sense, Jesus must become greater. I must become less. So like when you go into a room, like tonight or anywhere else, are you the kind of person who says, here I am? You're the kind of person who's, are you the kind of person who says, there you are? Right? Where are, you putting, where are you putting the spotlight? Where are you putting the focus? Is it on yourself? 
those are my other two things, okay? All right, uh, next one, next thing that I think leads into this, the idea that this um, focusing on ourselves makes us happy. Um, kind of it does, but trust in your feelings. Have you ever heard this? Just, just trust your feelings, everything will work out. But what happens when your heart gets it wrong? What happens when your heart lies to you and your feelings lie to you? So Jeremiah is an Old Testament prophet. He's, it's the longest book in the Bible. It's very long. Um, so I'll just give you one verse of it. But he, and Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can trust it? Right? Your heart is deceitful. It'll lie to you. We don't like to hear that. We like to think that we can trust ourselves and trust our feelings. That's not true. Right? And there are many ways in which we have to make our feelings obey us and not to obey our feelings. Right? That'll get you into trouble if you're always obeying your feelings. Because your feelings are, I mean, sometimes your feelings are true. Sometimes they are not. It's hard to know when. Right? You've got to be able to say, I know I feel it. I feel a certain way right now. I know it's not true. It's a really hard step, right? Because sometimes we feel things very intensely. Sometimes we feel very things very positively, and we know, and we're actually not as good as we think we are. Sometimes we think very negatively about ourselves, and we are not that negative either, right? We can't trust the feelings. Now, here's the half truth: feelings are important. God gave us feelings, right? They matter. Here's the lie: that you can always trust your feelings. You can't always trust your feelings, right? Got to be careful. All right, here's the third and final, um, is that you can be anything you want to be. It's a false gospel. Someone, someone says that you can be anything you want to be. You have no limits. You have an unlimited potential. The better question you should ask yourself is, what does God want from me? What does God expect from me? So the half-truth is we should definitely work hard. We should definitely do our best in certain situations. If you're taking a test in my class, you should do your best. Right? Here is the lie in that, though. The, the lie to this idea that we can be anything we want. And I already said it once to me, but I'll say it again. We are creatures. Right? God created us, and we are creatures. Which means we're finite. We can't do everything we think we can do. We're not built to everything we think we can do. Because we're not creators. We're creatures. We're not independent. We're dependent. I think when we get that wrong sometimes, when we think that we can be anything we want, then <coughs> we start to put way too much pressure on ourselves. Because if we think that we can do anything we want, if we think that we're really strong, if we think that we can carry any amount of weight, then it makes us anxious. Because we're gonna have to do it over and over again. So some of you probably think, whether now or some point in your life or some point in the future, you might think, I need, if I can just be perfect in this situation, if I could just be right here, right? You think you can attain perfection in some way, shape, or form. It could be academics, could be athletics, could be socially, could be weight, could be anything, right? And you think, if I could just get that, everything would be great. You know what's harder than working really hard to get that thing? Is to maintain that over year after year after year, or even day after day after day, right? That's a ton of pressure. You are not created to do anything, to do anything you think you can do. Because we're creatures and we are dependent upon the God who made us. We need to become comfortable with our limits. 
and to become comfortable um, and make peace with our limits. And I think our unwillingness to make peace with our limits, the idea that we can do anything we want to do, slowly killing us on the inside. I really think it is. Okay, so Matthew 7. There's another, part, another verse from the Gospels. Matthew 7, 24 and 25. Uh, Bennett used these same verses, whoever Bennett is, he used these same verses uh, a couple weeks ago. Right? And so he said, Jesus is talking. Jesus says, there's a, a wise man builds his house on the rock. Foolish man builds his house on the sand. Right? How do you know if your house is built on rock or if your house is built on sand? When everything's going well in life, you can't tell. Right? The house looks good. Everything looks great. In the, way, in the same ways that you and I can look really good and really great for a while. But how do you know in what, fa- what the foundations of a, of a house is built on? Or what the foundation is like that you build your house upon? When the storms come, right? When things get hard. When that hurricane comes and hits Florida, right? Like we just all ex- saw a month ago, right? That's when you know where a house's foundations are, right? Are you building your, ha- are you building your life on Jesus? Are you building your life on kind of these truths that we kind of believe? We think they're truths, but they're not really truths, right? The idea that we can be anything we want. It's the idea that we can trust our feelings. The idea that if we could just focus on ourselves and be happy, everything will be okay. Like, those things are killing us, I think. Discernment is a tricky thing, right? To be able to discern the truth from the lie. And there's certain characteristics of people, I think, who are good at discerning lies and being able to identify what the truth is, right? So instead of people thinking they're the main character in their story, they realize that God is the main character in their story, right? First of all, it takes the pressure off, but it also is just an acknowledgement of reality. God is the main character in our story. And if we acknowledge that, I think we can live better, right? We can live much better. Um, Another characteristic of people who can identify these truths and half lies is that they trust in God and not themselves. Okay, that's another characteristic. And then they would find their confidence in God's ability to make peace with their own inabilities. Right? We don't want to make peace with our inability. It's hard to think that we can't do things. But we just can't sometimes. We have to make peace with that. How can you become, this is the last thing I'll say, how can you become good at discerning truths from lies? How can you become the kind of person that knows that God is in control and you are not, and that is good with that, and knows that you should not be the main character in your story, but God should be the main character in your story? How can you do that? And uh, the best way I know is that we need to know scripture. We need to know the things that God says, the things that God is communicating to us. And I'll I'll put a a term that, you know, some of you are doing a foreign language GER right now, right? I'll I'll put it this way. We have to become fluent. We have to become fluent in the real gospel. The only way to become fluent in the real gospel is to know the scriptures, right? That's really important. Um, We also need to question things. The things that we want to hear are usually the things that are bad for us, right? The things that we think, oh, yeah, that's got to be right, we have to be really careful, really careful. Because those are the lies that are easy for us to, easy to, to uh, kind of gain root in our soul. Just got to be careful. 
And the best way to make sure that that doesn't gain root in your soul is to be in community, like FCA, like Bible studies, like other forms of Christian community, going to a church, right? Surround yourself with Christians who know you, be honest with them, tell them the things you're struggling with, and they can help you to become fluent in the real gospel and not to become fluent in these half gospels. Okay, um, let me pray. And then band, uh, worship team, you, you're welcome to come up. Father, thanks for tonight. Thanks for the ways in which you are working in and through us. Thank you for your love for us. Um, and thank you for the ways in which you reveal yourself in scripture. Pray that we would know you and love you. Um, I pray that we would um, want to be discerning kinds of people who can discern truths from lies and who want to follow you more than anything else. Amen.